If you've read the book Unbroken, or perhaps you may be old enough to actually remember the story yourself, the name of Louis Zamperini may be familiar to you. Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner. He ran in the 1936 Olympics in, Ber in Berlin. He also fought in the Army Air Corps during World War II, during which time he survived a plane crash, spent a month at sea in a life raft, which I think at that time was a, was a record of some sort, and then spent about, I think, two years in the most horrendous circumstances in a prisoner of war camp in Japan. A couple of years ago, he was asked to share his story or talk about his story. For a long time, he told his story many places. Uh, he was asked recently to share his story on video, and I wanted <clears throat> to share this with you. Now, in just a second, you're going to see his story, a little bit of his story, but in order to understand it, because we're not watching the whole thing, you need to understand that uh, his primary tormentor in his prisoner of war camp uh, was a man who they referred to as the bird. So when you hear him talking about the bird, that's a code name uh, for this person who made his life miserable. So watch him as he tells you his story, and then we're going to talk about it together. It's a powerful story. If you catch the timing, uh, he got home from the war, obviously, in 1945. And from 1945 to 1949, he, he had what we would refer to today as post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, that he woke up every night uh, with the same nightmare, him being tormented by this man who had stolen his dignity, who had abused him, uh, who had treated him so horrendously. And every night he was uh, attempting to strangle him and kill him until one night he woke up and he was actually trying to strangle someone. It was his wife uh, laying in bed with him. And that the only way he could escape from the demons uh, that he was experiencing was through alcohol, he thought. And so the more that he drank, <clears throat> the more that just simply contributed to the problems. And while he could sort of forget about the torment for a little bit of time, uh, simply the alcohol made it worse. And so, but the powerful thing about that story is, is that what Louis wanted more than anything was rest. He wanted peace. Uh, they don't say it in the, in the interview, but it make it very clear in the book, Unbroken, is that during that time from 1945 to 1949, he made active plans and sought earnestly to try to return to Japan so that he could kill the man, kill the people who had tormented him. And then in 1949, when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, what he experienced was rest. Rest from the horrors, from the hallucinations. Rest from the humiliation and the haunting dreams. Rest from the lack of dignity that had been stolen from him in this prisoner of war camp and what he had been through. Rest on his constant desire for revenge. Rest from the stress of the fact that he was going uh, on, a, on a course for divorce. Rest from all of that stuff. He experienced that rest and it manifested himself that in the person of Jesus, Jesus gave him peace from 1949 to July of 2014. The reason I say that he experienced peace to July of 2014 is because just a few months ago, he entered his eternal rest. And the rest that he experienced in this life, those pieces of rest along the way, those were just signs. Those were just things pointing him through true rest. The rest that God had promised for him in the language of the book of Hebrews, he entered into God's eternal rest. 
That's what we want to talk about this morning, this idea that there exists a place of rest and peace. So if you have a Bible, would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, please take one from underneath your seat or in the rack in front of you and turn to page 969 and you will be in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your Bible as I read aloud. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have, in fall, to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, speaking of the nation of Israel there. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on, my oath, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The key concept in this passage is the idea of God's rest. To understand the idea of God's rest, we have to track with the author through the sort of theological reasoning that he's doing. What he's doing is he begins back with the story of creation. And in the story of creation, according to the Bible, God is presented as having created the earth in everything in it, the universe, all that exists in six days. In six days, God created the stars, the sky, the sun, the water, the plants, the animals, and of course, humans. But in those six days, he created everything and declared everything good, but creation wasn't done yet. There was still yet a seventh day. And on that seventh day in which God created, he didn't do any work. It says that he rested. Now, he didn't rest because he was tired. It wasn't that all that creating work wore him out and he's like, whew, I gotta take a day off here. This is tough stuff. No, 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 no. That's not what the concept of rest means. Now, this is very important because if we're going to understand the concept of rest promised to us here, we have to understand what it means that God rested. 
It doesn't mean that he was worn out. It doesn't mean that it was, he was exhausted. It doesn't mean he had to catch his breath in order for him to do another six days of creation. It means everything that needed to be created was created. Everything that needed to be done was done, and everything was good. And so when it says God rested, what it means is he set the seventh day apart as a day for him to enjoy what he made. It was a day for what he had made, his creation, especially humans, to enjoy him and the created world. This is what the seventh day was for. It was not for recovering strength. It was for enjoying creation. Adam and Eve entered into that seventh day in which they were able to eat of any of the trees in the garden. They were supposed to enjoy creation, fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. And as they went through that seventh day, though, they made a choice. And the choice was to disobey God. Even though in creation God had provided everything they could have wanted, even in creation they had incredible fellowship with one another and with God, even in creation where they had assignments from God that they were given to do, those assignments were meant to help them enjoy God's created world. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to try to provide for themselves. The result of that sin was that seventh day that seventh day closed to them. Meaning they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and God said to them, the curse for your sin is that you will now have to work and toil for the things I was freely providing for you. The seventh day is about God's willingness to provide his ability to take care of us. And Adam and Eve, when they sin, they now entered into the struggle and the stress of trying to provide for themselves. We know that struggle and stress, don't we? It's with us every day. We wake up in the morning, we worry, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to handle the schoolwork for today? How are we going to take care of our parents? How are we going to handle the health situation that we're in? That stress, that striving, that achieving, that working. How can I make myself more famous? How can I make myself have a better life? How can I fight with these demons that are causing me so much problem? How can I make all of this happen? And we work and we labor and we stress and we toil and we wake up with the mindset we're only gonna get today what we provide for ourselves and we fight with our siblings and we fight with our parents and we fight with our neighbors and we fight with everybody and we go to work and we struggle and we strain and all of it is because we no longer want to let God provide for us. This was not how creation was supposed to work. Creation was supposed to work that God does the providing and we do the enjoying. But because of sin, death entered the world and we were separated from God. And so we had to try to play the role of God. And that's what we feel every day. The fear, am I going to be able to do this? The anxiety, I don't know how to make this happen. The stress, the worry, the difficulty. Fast forward now to the story of Israel, which the author of Hebrews is also referencing, not only creation, but Israel. Israel found themselves in a similar situation to that of Louis in the video. They found themselves in captivity in another land, although their land was Egypt while his land was Japan, but they experienced oppression. That same dehumanizing experience of being under the tyranny of another power, the experience of being abused, 
physically or emotionally by those in power over you. The nation of Israel was experiencing as a whole what Louis was going through in his prisoner of war camp. And in the midst of it, just like Louis, they cried out to God over and over again, save us, help us. And God showed up and he rescued the nation of Israel and he brought them out of the land of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea and he brought them to Mount Sinai and there he made them a promise. And he said, if you will obey me, if you will obey me, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the sign of my affection for you is I'm going to take you to a promised land. Now you remember how the promised land was described. It's described in the Bible as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's not described as good farmland. The Middle East has never been good farmland. That's not the way it was described. It was not described as a land that you would go into and have an easy time working. It was described as a land that is fed with water from heaven and when water comes from heaven, the land itself produces milk and honey and your job is to collect it. Your job is to enjoy it. And the promised land was never supposed to be a place where Israel was going to go and settle in and then be bored to death. That was not what it was. It wasn't they were going to go into the land and pick up their harps and just start playing songs to each other. The point was that they were going to go into this land that God was going to provide for them and they were going to enjoy creation. They were going to pick the grapes and eat them. They were going to enjoy rest from their enemies instead of worrying about foreign powers coming in and taking over, instead of waking up every day and stressing and struggling with how are we going to provide food, how are we going to have relationships, how are we going to make our life enjoyable. They were simply going to experience life that God provided for them. And God said, in the promised land, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Your job is to enjoy it. My job is to provide. I will protect you from your enemies. You won't have to worry about the people around you. You won't have to worry that they're going to come over and take away the stuff from you. I will take care of it for you. That's the promise of the promised land. It was a land of rest. Not a land of inactivity. Not a land of sitting around being bored all day. But a land in which everything that was needed was provided and it wasn't about struggling and striving and clawing and scrapping and trying to make it happen but the problem was just like Adam and Eve Israel gets to the edge of that rest they get to the edge of that land and they refuse to go in they refuse out of disobedience they say we know better how to provide for ourselves than God does They made the exact same mistake that Adam and Eve made. I know better how to provide for myself than God does. That land's not a good land. We would do better to go back to Egypt. So God gave them what they wanted. You want to provide for yourself? Go ahead and try. And so they didn't enter the land. Now, we talked about their disobedience last week. That's not the focus of this chapter. That was the focus of Hebrews chapter 3, Israel's refusal to walk into the land by faith. The point of chapter 4 is good news. And the good news is, verse 1, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Here's the good news that the author of Hebrews, he's not just going through Adam and Eve's history and Israel's history to kind of pull us down. What he's saying is, look, there's good news. That rest that was available to Adam and Eve, that rest that was available to Israel, that rest is still available. 
you can still enter that rest, that seventh day of creation, that promised land. That is available to you and I. And here, the author of Hebrews is referring now to what we would know of as Jesus' eternal kingdom, the promised land of heaven. This is what he's talking about. He says, hey, look, if Israel had trusted God and gone into the land, well, then it would have been filled. But the offer for rest still stands, meaning there's still an opportunity for you and I to experience that rest. And the rest he's talking about is heaven. So what is heaven like? Well, from the example, the seventh day of creation, the promised land, heaven is not a place of inactivity. It's not a place where you sit around on clouds playing harps. It's not a place where you're bored. It's not a place where you sit around all day saying, man, wasn't it great what Jesus did for us and what else is there to do? That's not what heaven is. It was never, it's not even fathomed that it's that way. What heaven is, is the place where we can enjoy fellowship with God and enjoy his creation as it was always meant to be enjoyed. You wanna know what heaven is like? Heaven is like a mom who gets to play with her kids during the day and not worry about having to do the laundry. <laughs> that is what heaven is like. Heaven is like having a job you love going to where you don't have to worry about how much you make at the job or how you're gonna pay your bills. Just something you love to do. Heaven is like being able to play soccer with your friends on a beautiful day without worrying about having to go home and do homework. Heaven is like being able to read your favorite book without having to worry about the ones that your teacher assigned for you to read. Heaven is like going on vacation where there is no email and there are no phones. Heaven is like being able to give away money without having to worry about how you're going to replenish it. Heaven is like gardening without the weeding. Yeah? It's like fishing without having to worry whether there's going to be any fish there to catch. Heaven is like making an extravagant meal without it being difficult to make and without having to clean up. The point is, heaven is not nothing. It's not inactivity. What it is, is the enjoyment of creation, food, sports, friendship, most of all, a relationship with God. When I say heaven is like a mom playing with her kids, I mean it's like a mom getting to play with her kids and not having to worry about the laundry. The point is, is it's the promise of rest. It's not the promise of boredom or inactivity. It's the promise of life being lived in this creation, this one, the one that God has created. It's enjoying life in this creation without the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the worry, the doubt, the toil, the struggle, all that stuff associated with trying to scrap and claw our way through life. Imagine all that stuff gone and all the good stuff here. That's what heaven is. And that's why the author of Hebrews describes it as God's rest. It is a place of rest. You see, Louis Zamperini in his story, he experienced a taste of God's rest because he had these horrible, debilitating nightmares every night, and then he came to Jesus and he experienced rest. But that rest was only in part. 
what they didn't tell you in the video, but the book makes clear, he could never run again. His body was so broken, he was an Olympic runner. His body was so broken from his experience in the prisoner of war camp that he was never able to run again. They also don't tell you in the video that his wife, who he stayed married to, died in 2001. And for 13 years he lived as a widower. Those are difficult things. He experienced some rest. But the point was, in this life, the rest that he experienced was simply a sign pointing to a greater rest. That is heaven. Meaning today, Louis has entered into God's rest, meaning he can run. Not that there's no running anymore. It's that he is now able to run again. And he's entered into God's rest, meaning he is again enjoying companionship with his wife. Not that he doesn't know who his wife is anymore, but that he is enjoying a relationship with her, freed from the stress and the worry and the anxiety. See, in this life we have trouble. Jesus says, but I leave you my peace. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus' peace in this life is simply designed to point us to the fact that there is still an opportunity to enter true rest, the true rest of heaven. Now I want to take a bit of an aside here. I want to come back to this main point about the true rest of heaven, but I want to take an aside. And I want to talk to you, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this idea of the rest, the peace of heaven, is referred to in verse 9 as a Sabbath rest, meaning that heaven is itself an eternal Sabbath rest. Now, some of you may come from traditions where you hear the word Sabbath, and what that makes you think is not doing anything on a Sunday. That is not what the idea of Sabbath is about. Let me repeat that again. That is not what the idea of Sabbath is about. That's why it's so important to track with what the author of Hebrews is saying. The idea of Sabbath, according to the Scriptures, is that the Sabbath rest is much deeper, much broader, much more flexible than that kind of idea. What it is, is is it's a thing designed by God. According to the New Testament, it can be for one day, it can be part of every day, it can be a chunk of time on Friday night, it can be time on Monday afternoon. It is some portion of your week guided by the Spirit for you in which you set aside time to stop striving, worrying, being anxious, struggling, and simply enjoy creation and the Creator. Sabbath rest can be taking a nap, if taking a nap is restful for you. If it's not restful for you, that's not Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest can be going for a bike ride or having a picnic. Sabbath rest can be Enjoying a fantastic meal together with friends or with family. Sabbath rest can be playing with your kids if that is enjoyable to you. Sabbath rest can be playing sports with friends or reading a good book. Sabbath rest can be listening to worship music without interruption. It can be going out to dinner on a Sunday night to celebrate God's goodness. The idea is in the scripture, Sabbath is not about inactivity. It's not resting because you're tired. It's about resting from our struggle and our striving to make life happen on our own and simply enjoy the provisions of a good God. If this afternoon you leave here and you go out to dinner and you thank God for the opportunity to go out, that is Sabbath rest. As long as while you're at dinner, 
You don't spend all your time worrying about how you can pay for it. Worried about what you're going to do at work tomorrow. Worried about the difficulties going on in your health. Sabbath rest is set up by God for us to take breaks in our week. You want to choose one day to do it? The Bible says, great. You want to choose a little bit of time every day? Great. However the Spirit leads you to do it. But what we're supposed to do, this is not optional. What we're supposed to do is design into our weeks opportunities for rest, meaning to enjoy creation and the Creator. The opportunity to gather together and to say, for this time, I'm not doing work. I'm not toiling, I'm not laboring, I'm not struggling, I'm not thinking about all the rest of that stuff. I'm just going to enjoy God and the world that he created. And if sitting around in a hammock doing nothing all day does that, great. And if that is your idea of hell, don't do it. (laughs) If you'd rather be on a bike, get on the bike. That's the point. And so if you as a Christian do not have Sabbath rest incorporated into your weekly routine, not by legalistic rules, but by the Spirit's joy where you've said Friday nights are going to be our family night, we're going to get together, we're going to play, great. But if you don't have it as part of your experience as a Christian, prayerfully consider how God might be able to give you times during your week that you can set aside to stop striving, to stop struggling, to stop clawing, to stop trying to make life happen and simply enjoy an amazing creator and an amazing creation. The reason why it's so important is because those little oases, those little pieces of rest, they're pointers to the real rest that's coming. They're a great witness to a world around us who doesn't know Jesus, who's killing themselves to try to make life happen. They're a witness to ourselves and to others that the offer of God's rest is still available. And that's our main point. Verse 6, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, Meaning because the offer of entering the rest of heaven, the eternal rest, not the little snippets of rest alone, but the eternal rest, because that offer is available, and since those that formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. What that means is the offer for you to enter God's rest is still valid. Meaning, you can enter God's rest. When? Today. Now, you don't enter the full rest today. But the offer is being made to you today. Not tomorrow. Today. Right now. If you hear God's voice. Look, I didn't write this stuff. God wrote this. And God is saying to you today, if you do not yet know Jesus, if you are not following Jesus, if you do not have rest in your life, if you do not have any snippets of peace, the offer to God to you today is today, right now, if you hear God's voice, you can have rest. How many of you went to Art Prize this year? How many of you went by the Gerald R. Ford Museum? Did you see the big now, N-O-W, spelled out with like hundreds of clocks? Did you see that? 
It was a beautiful piece of art. If you read it closely, what the artist was saying was, the reason why I've done it, now is the time of salvation. As Americans, we are obsessed with time. We're always watching, am I late for this? How can I squeeze as much stuff in it? What he's trying to say is, look, if you want to be obsessed about time, great, be obsessed about time. And the point of the time is, now is the time for salvation. That's what Hebrews is saying today, today, right now. If you hear God's voice saying to you, come enter my rest, come enter my rest. If you hear his voice saying that to you right now, you can have the rest. That's the point. That's why this is good news. The promise of God's rest still stands. God is saying to you, listen, I don't know how else to make this as clear as I can possibly make it. This is God's offer to you today. If you want to experience the eternal rest of heaven, the enjoyment of creation without all the struggle, without all of the stress, without all of the fear, without all of the anxiety, without all of the worry, if you want to experience that eternal rest of God, you may have it. That's a promise. The promise of entering his rest. It's a promise. God is here today. If you hear his voice saying to you, come enter my rest, it's a promise. Well, how do you enter? By faith. Following Jesus. The reason Jesus came was to show us the path to that rest. Adam and Eve thought the path to that rest was through their own decision making. We eat this fruit, we get blessing. Israel thought the path to that rest was through their own decision-making. We go back to Egypt, our life is blessed. Jesus showed up to tell us the only way to enter that rest is through obedience. That when we obey God, when we follow God, he leads us to that place of rest. And so Jesus came and he became one of us and he died on a cross for our sins so that we might be able to experience that rest. And today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God saying to you, I have made it available for you to have that rest, and you say in your heart, what rest? There's no way that that could be real. That's too good to be true. Jesus can't be the way. Then you've hardened your heart and the result will be perishing through unbelief. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. That's what happened to Israel. It will happen to, to you if you do that. But if today, right now, you hear God saying to you, I have rest waiting for you. I have rest promised for you. And you say, I hope that's true. I wish that's true. I would like for that to be true. Please let that be true. Then for you, you may enter that rest. Louis said it in the video. I don't know if you picked up on this. He said if you had asked him before 1949 if he believed that Jesus was the Son of God, of course he would have. Because, yes, why wouldn't he be? That's kind of the standard truth. Yes, I believe. But he said it wasn't really in his heart because nothing had changed about his life. He wasn't actually following Jesus. You may be here this morning and you may be saying, well, yeah, sure, Jesus is the Son of God. Great, he's the pathway to heaven. But if in your life you're not actively following him by faith, you are not yet a believer but the good news is today today if you hear his voice and you say but i want to be i want that rest i want to come in today you may have it so what we're going to do 
is in just a minute, we're going to sing two songs together. We're going to be standing as a congregation during that time of singing. And if you're here and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to enter that rest. And here's how we're going to do it. During the singing, I want you to just slip out into the aisle and walk down front. The reason why I want you to do that is I want to help conceptualize for you that you are beginning a faith journey. The journey of you walking those 20 feet down here is a journey that starts here and will end in heaven. And the point is I want to give you the opportunity to exercise faith. And faith is obedience. And what Jesus is saying is if you're sitting in your seat right now and your heart has been burning, that while I have been talking to you, you hear the Spirit whispering in your voice, in your heart, don't you want that rest? Don't you want that peace? If today you hear his voice, the Spirit is saying, don't harden your heart. Get up, walk down here, and begin a journey of faith. And the promise is, That journey that looks like it's just walking down an aisle is a journey that will end in God's eternal rest. If you sit there and say, maybe tomorrow, the offer is for today. Today, if you hear his voice. If you persist in unbelief, Israel, they didn't get in. If you walk on here and you say, I I by faith want that, then the promise is you will enter his rest.